0: series has been based on this idea that, that yes, you can endure torture of your physical body, but, but that's not the point, because because we're actually not just a physical body, right? Matthew 16, 26 says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What's more valuable than the whole world? One individual soul. So, so while we've been kind of exploring this idea and building upon this idea that, that we're not just a body with a soul, we're a soul with a body. It's, it's time we start to personalize this. It's not that we, it's I. I'm not a soul, a body with a soul. I am a soul that happens to have a body. My identity is my soul. When God created us, when He created man, He breathed into the breath of life, the, breath, the Ruach, the breath of God. That that's when we became alive. That's who we are, really. Our soul. And we find in life that our souls can, be, can go through some pretty difficult seasons, right? <clears throat> maybe, maybe you've experienced some of these, right? Our, when, when we're in pain, our souls can be tormented, we can feel, right? When, when life, when the world just doesn't make sense, we're in the midst of chaos, it seems like we're being tormented spiritually, right? When, when we're sick, or, no, or someone we love is hurting, is suffering, it, it, our souls seem to ache. Many theologians over the years, centuries, have referred to it as a dark night of the soul. When it seems like nothing fits. My soul is out of place. When David cried out, "How long, oh Lord? How long do I have to go through this? How long?" Maybe you've cried out like that before. Many things can can torture our souls, but today I want to focus on just one of them, just one. But and before I get there, I got to tell you about. I don't care what you see in the news these days, especially from a parent's point of view. My experience raising the, boys and girls are different. Right? So, so raising my son I was like figuring things out. I had no clue. It was our first kid. And we're just kind of throwing in, like God just gave you a kid and said, hey, let's see how dumb you really are. Right? And so you kind of figure it out. And, and I thought, okay, you know, he's three, four years old. He's not trying to, he's not going to kill himself. It doesn't seem like. So it's, okay, we kind of got this. And a daughter comes along and it's like, you think, this is going to be a piece of cake. No, you throw the whole book out and start over. It's completely over. So my son, when when he was little, we could wrestle and we could, you know, fight around the house, and mom kind of laughed, "Oh, boys, blah blah blah." You know, when my daughter came along, I tried to do the same thing. It doesn't work the same way. Not at all. The tickle monster used to come all the time for my son, and he loved it. My daughter, not so much. Not so much. She wasn't a big fan of the tickle monster. I mean she, she would, when she laughed when she was a little kid, she had this great big belly laugh. And she would get to giggling and so so loud, I mean it would fill the house up. You'd be like, oh man, somebody's having a good time in there. Well, tickle monster dad one day didn't know when to stop. And about that time, but I got to the point where I was like, I should stop. Something in the tickle monster said, oh no. Oh no, we're not stopping yet. And I tickled one more time. And that was the end. She erupted crying, screaming I was like what what happened to the fun? We were laughing and carrying on and now all of a sudden it's never the same it, and it was never the same since then. I never could figure it out like, like I ruined it. Whatever it was whatever that good thing was, I spoiled it. a good thing that went bad. We ever experienced that in life. Our souls experience that all the time. We start something that, that wasn't that bad. But then, over time, it became that bad, right? It became torturous, even. Maybe you might say. First Peter chapter two verse eleven says, "Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage against your soul. Sinful desires—all those things that, man, I, I want to do. My body, my flesh tells me this is what you, this is what you're made for. When in reality." It, it wages against our soul. Our bodies say, yes, yes, yes. But our souls say, ah, no. Stay away. Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, described this sense of uh, being tormented by sin. Uh, and I don't know if I have the past. Yeah, I do. He says, he said, Paul, who, who started churches all over the Gentile world. It, we credit us being here in Rock and the church, to Paul's work, right? Starting churches all through... Asia. He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I love the Lord. I love pleasing God. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the sin that's at work in me. What a wretched man I am, he said. What a wretched man I am, he he included that passage. On that, from the outside, nobody would say, Paul, you got issues. Every, from the outside, everybody would think, Paul's got it going on. But inside, he was struggling. He was wrestling. He was fighting. for. A, he was fighting a spiritual battle within his soul. That's what it is when we're, we're stuck in sin in our lives. As a follower of Jesus, it begins to twist us up. Inside, we can be dying spiritually. So because we're a soul that happens to have a body, let's get busy trying to figure out how to clear our souls out of this toxin. Let's first begin with identifying how exactly sin tortures us. How does sin actually torture us? uh, David, who knew quite a bit of sin and the effects of it, he says this, My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Like a burden too heavy to bear. Tortured by the sin that he'd committed. I remember the first time I felt this way or something similar to it. I'm I'm pretty sure I was like seven or eight years old. I was trying to figure out how exactly old I was. But I had a lot of older cousins. I was one of the younger kids in the family. And uh, one of my older cousins, I went to my grandparents' house, and uh, my older cousin introduced me to my grandfather's Playboy collection. <clears throat> in that moment, I remember, I remember the moment. And I remember feeling shame and guilt in that moment. Like, this ought not be. It was a, many have described it as a loss of innocence that we experience early on in life. And that event, I'm, I'll credit that event to setting me on track to struggle with sex and sexuality for years, even into my marriage. I wasn't addicted as a diagnosis to pornography, but it was a stronghold that had developed in my life that I would wrestle with for 20 years. Back then, it, it wasn't as readily. I don't bring this up in church because I usually don't bring this kind of thing up in church. But but we need to be aware that back then it wasn't available everywhere. Today, every kid with a phone has got a library of pornography in their pocket. Every every adult with a phone has got a library of it. And if we think people in church, we're not. That's that's not us. No no no. Forty million Americans regularly engage pornography. Men and women. Forty million regularly. Every second, there are twenty-eight thousand Americans watching. Every second, twenty-eight thousand new Americans are watching pornography. Every second, sixty-five percent of Christians admit to struggling with pornography. Sixty-five percent—that's more than half. We're all Christians here. Pretty easy to pretty easy to identify that. Yeah. That, okay. So there's. In this room, there's probably several that struggle with this reality of life. And yet, it's something we don't talk about because that's... Uh. But you get a kid, get honest, and they will tell you flat out that this is a huge problem in today's youth culture, in today's world, that this is a big problem. It may not be for you, but for the rest of the world, this is a huge problem. But that's just one thing, one sin, that tortures our souls. There are others. Maybe that's not yours. Maybe it's maybe for you it's a lie you told. You you absolutely lied, and now I wish I could take it back, but I can't. Maybe it's that you, you you cheated, you cheated a spouse or on a spouse, or on a business partner can't undo it. Maybe your soul is tortured by the fact that you tend to overeat. And because you don't want to gain weight or you want to, or you want to lose weight, you feel like you're, you don't fit in your body, you, you, you throw up. You make yourself throw up. Maybe you're addicted to a substance. Maybe you lie about your finances. You, you make yourself look like you have more than what you really do and you don't want people to know the truth or you overspend so you can keep up with everybody else or just because it just makes you feel happy for a moment sometimes we're pretty good at covering up our sin and and it can go on for years we can cover it for years we can live our whole lives and nobody would ever know no one would ever know but sometimes, occasionally, what we, we do, we're, we're convicted by it, right? That's the word we use. We're convicted by it. We realize that that, that behavior is senseless, and we stop cold turkey. We just I, I, I smoked for years, and I just stopped one day. just I know some people struggle with that, but I, I didn't. I just stopped. So sometimes sin in our lives, we're able to just, I'm done. No, I'm not doing that anything. That's stupid. But the memory of it, the effects of it, don't necessarily stop right there. Right? The torture of sin doesn't end there. The effect of sin isn't limited to the immediate time of the event. Right? The effect of sin can go on for generations. Because the, way, the reason is because we tell our story, ourselves a story, about the things that we've done. About the things we've done. John... Chapter 8, verse 44. The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, the father of lies. We, we create all these unjust statements, these, these limiting beliefs that we actually, we make, we get our identity in. Instead of getting Christ, we get it in, oh, well, I'm just an addict. I, 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 I must have a real problem. I, I guess I'll never be good at anything. No one can love somebody who does something like that. We tell ourselves all these lies and, and eventually we we believe them. And you don't even have to be the one who came up with the lie. It could be something that somebody said to you that you say, that you wrap your identity up in it. My my father-in-law tells a story, would, would tell a story. He's passed now, but he would tell a story about when he was a kid, he went to church. And one of the older ladies in church, I mean, he was, if you know anything about Annapolis, he was a He was an East Puerto Rican, is what they called him. They were were the bad kids from Eastport. Uh, So he was, and when he went to church, and uh, they, one of the older ladies in church said, uh, boys that act like that shouldn't be in, don't belong in church. And he left. And that was when he was a little kid, and he never went back. Never went back. Not because of something the lady said, but because that he identified, he got identity from that. Like, I don't belong there. And he believed it. He didn't belong there, no matter what. This is how a stronghold develops in our lives. We feed the lie. We entertain the lie. We start to live into the lie. And then it has has a real spiritual effect on our lives. Instead of accepting the forgiveness that God offers us, we believe the lies of Satan instead. We're tortured by the lies we believe By the lies we believe. Doesn't matter if it's something that you told yourself or someone else told you. Either way, Satan is the one responsible. He's the one, the father of lies. He's the one that convinces us that it's true. To connect what happened to who I am. Who you are. I am what I did. I did bad, so I must be bad. I failed, so I must be a failure. I blew it. There's no point. I might as well just keep doing it. See how it feeds it? This is just the way I am. Guilt and shame. It started in the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned. After their guilt, they covered themselves and so we try to hide it too. We try to hide it too. Can't tell anybody because if they really knew everything about you, they would reject you in a nanosecond. You can't tell anybody. Let's so just not say anything. Let's so just to pretend to put the I'm fine mask on and keep on going. But Jesus came to set us free. So how can we be free? How can we live into the freedom that Jesus promised in Scripture that He would bring for us? First thing is stop trying to hide your sin. Stop trying to hide it. Stop trying to hide it and turn to His Word. What what does God's Word have to say about how we find this freedom? Proverbs 28, 13. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Promises of God. This forgiveness is an amazing thing when you experience it. Amen? Forgiveness is an amazing thing. It it is the key to our freedom in Christ. The problem is, sometimes, sometimes it's easier to offer forgiveness to others than it is to forgive ourselves. Like when someone hurts us. When someone hurts us, it's easy to say, oh, it's okay, I'm going to be fine. It's it's all right, no big deal. But when we're the offender, oh, oh, boy, that's tough, isn't it? Amen? Amen? Am I, just the only, am I the only one? I don't think so. I think when we are the ones that mess up, then we keep, we keep beating ourselves up over and over and over again. It's much harder to deal with my own mistakes than with yours. You do me wrong? <laughs> no big deal. I do you wrong? Oh, uh-huh. that's a whole different story. But if we want to be free, we have to deal with it. Even, no matter how hard it is. We have to deal with it. And it starts with confessing it to God. Confessing it to God. Hey, several weeks ago, my, my wife and I, I made some uh, shrimp and grits. That's something I, I make we eat quite often. And I left it in the fridge. I was going to eat it the next day. I forgot about it. I was going to eat it and the next day. I told Michelle, I said, if it's still in the fridge, I tend to eat it. It doesn't really. But, but shrimp has a way of telling you, nope, you shouldn't, have done, you shouldn't have gone there. Right? Anybody ever done that before? Okay, maybe y'all have been. But, but let me just tell you, if you eat food that's spoiled, your body has a way of letting you know real quick. Your body has a way of, your body rejects it. Oh, within a, a couple of hours sometimes. Sometimes before you can leave, you can pay the check at the restaurant. Sometimes it's like, it's right now. It's right now. If you, you had not been there, praise be to God. But if you have, you know what I'm talking about. All I'm saying is that our bodies, our physical bodies, know how to reject a physical poison. Why can't we train our souls? Actually, our souls are trying to tell us the same thing. That guilt and shame that you feel the minute you sin, that's, that's your body, your soul trying to reject it. Confess it. Confess it. Let it out. Get rid of it. Vomit it away. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to cover it up. Don't pretend like it didn't happen. That just makes us sin sick. I mean, I told you before, I think I have, uh, the time that the police were called by our neighbor down on Kent Island. Uh, we had a neighbor across the way, it looked like a street over, they had a pool in their backyard and they never used it. Uh, so my son and the neighbor's kids, they would often go over there at night after, after this aged couple had gone to bed and they would swim in their pool. Well, finally the couple got, said enough of this and they called the police. <clears throat> well, we're out in the front yard, you know, talking and uh, the police come up, roll up in our driveway and we're like, uh-oh. Our son's with the neighbor's kids, so we're thinking, oh, boy. (laughs) So uh, we're like, what's going on? He said, well, I know boys are always up, being boys, but your neighbor called about kids being in their their pool. I was like, oh, good night." And about that time, our son rolled up on his bicycle in his bathing suit, dripping wet. (laughs) (laughs) And he said innocently, hey, what's going on? Like, just a regular old summer night. And I said, well, sheriff's department's here. They said... Name the neighbor's house. So apparently some kids are in their pool. Know anything about it? Nope. <laughs> I'm like, are you serious here? He said, I, I promise, I wasn't swimming. I'm like, I don't know what you were doing, but you're wet. <laughs> like you're, but even when he's completely busted, he had to deny it. When he confronted with it, by the outside confronting him with it, he, he, like, he couldn't bring himself to say, I'm sorry. Right? It sounds silly when you're talking about it. And it's funny when you're talking about an 11- or 12-year-old. But adults, come on, y'all. We do the same thing. We do the same thing. We need to confess our sins to God. It's not a surprise to Him. He saw us when we did it. We're already busted. So why don't we confess? First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous. To forgive us our sins... And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From everything. Why do we need to confess our sins to God? If He knows everything, why do we need to tell Him? Right? Why? Because God knows that we need to confess. It's not that He needs to hear it. He already knows. We need to say it. We need to admit to God what we had done. God wants us to own it. And if we can't own it, there, there won't be forgiveness. If we can't be responsible for what we did, if we can't confess it, then there's no forgiveness. It's part of our surrendering to His authority over our lives. And when we confess our sins to God, we can be assured that we are entirely forgiven. That's God's promise. That you are entirely forgiven by God. David was no stranger to sin, right? In Psalm 103, he said, His sins were removed as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Yeah, that's a long way, right? Like, like they're removed. But how many times have we confessed a sin to God and thought, he's forgotten. Maybe I could do it again. Or, we confess a sin to God and we don't feel like anything has really changed. I mean, it felt like the sin is... Right there, oh, which shoulder? I don't know. It's like a, a cloud hanging over you, waiting to just dump a fresh load of guilt and shame right on top of you at the next turn, and you know it is. The torture of our soul continues. Our past sin can remain like a shadow that we can't, that we can't run away from. And yet Jesus promised that we would be free. So how do we find this freedom? Freedom from. Responsibility for sin, yes, God forgives. The second part of that confession, though, we confess to God for forgiveness, but we, forget, we confess to others for healing. We confess to people to be healed from our sin. See, God knows that we are created to be free. He wants us to be free. And so that's one of the biggest things that... The, You may may find this funny, but the church is for, in the world, to set people free from sin. The church is the primary place that God has designed for us to experience grace. Would people who, in our community, who think about the church, would they think of us as a place where grace can be found for the sin of our lives? I don't know. James 5, 16 confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed that you may be healed completely we confess to people for the healing from sin so our hearts are set free, truly set free when I was uh, going into ministry I I realized that there was something I had to deal with, have you ever had something in your life that I got to deal with that right, you can't put it off anymore, there was something that had been nagging me just like this, had been just coming up again and again and again, and I'd remember it, and I'd have to deal with it. So as I was um, going into seminary, I, 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 I wrote a letter to my, a church in my hometown. <clears throat> it's a little church. Uh, I've shared with you before that I grew up as a pretty angry teenager. And on various nights of the week, my, uh, my cousin and I, we would go out, and we'd cause a lot of havoc. And uh, one night, we broke into a church, a lot like Rome Chapel. You know, it was across the field from us. We broke into the church and we wound up vandalizing the church. And uh, they never knew why. No one ever questioned us about it. No one ever said anything. Like it happened and the world kept going on. Except not in my soul. And then one day I said, I I just sat down and I wrote a letter to the church and asked for forgiveness. I admitted what I'd done. I don't even know if I asked for forgiveness. But I, I just confessed what I'd done. And I sent some money to pay for damages that I felt like this is just. It's all I could afford. <clears throat> I never heard back from him. Um, a little while later, my dad, who still lived in, like, right down the street from the church, <clears throat> he heard from him. He told me. He said, what did ha- you write this letter for? And I said, what do you, what are you talking my Dad? And he said, you wrote a letter to the church down the street saying that you had vandalized it. I said, well, yeah, I had. You shouldn't have done that. He was worried about what people thought of him. Right? But then he told me that... He said, well, they told me to tell you thank you. And that they have been praying for you. said so a couple people in the church that knew my dad well came to him and said, we've been praying for him, for whoever it was, for 20 years. 20 years. Every week. We pray for them. I mean it, A lot of people thought it was a racial thing. It wasn't a racial thing. It was just some angry kids, bored. Made a mistake. But I know when they said that they'd been praying for me, I know how that affected me. And so now when I talk to people and they tell me, Pastor, I'm going to tell you something, but I've never told anybody. When someone starts the sentence that way, I always buckle up not because what they might say but because spiritually something powerful is about to happen in that person's life cuz they're about to unload they're about to unload something that has been weighing them down for years and they're about to be free and it's amazing to watch when someone does that i don't know if you've ever had that experience before but when someone tells you that it is a powerful experience to see someone literally have the chains fall off literally Finding this freedom through confession and accountability creates in us a willingness to to confess our sin. And so so what you'll find is when someone says, I'm going to tell you something I've never told anybody. When they finish that one, then there's a, and then there was a time when, and then there was a time when, and then because it feels so good to confess. And so that's how you mark spiritual maturity is when the, the length of time between my sin and my confession is pretty short. Spiritual maturity. If there is a short window between the time you, I did something wrong and you ask for forgiveness or you confess it, you know that window is pretty short. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. That's a sign of recognizing the weight of sin. That I'm not going to let this burden me anymore I'm, because I'm called to live a righteous and holy life. And so I'm getting this out of me. I'm going to free myself of this toxin. I'm going to vomit it out. Not holding on to it anymore. That's what freedom is all about. So you don't have to tell anyone, everyone everything, but you do have to tell someone something in order to be set free. You do have to tell someone everything. After church today, y'all are going to be talking about realigning with the Global Methodist Church. Uh, and one of the principles of, of Methodism that the Global Methodist Church really puts forward right, is this idea of of uh, how we came about as Methodists. If you don't know, John Wesley had this system, this method of spirituality. That's why we're called Methodists. And so his method was that they would uh, have church, and then they would have a a group that he called a society. It was kind of like a big Bible study, 20 to 50 people that would gather on Wednesday night or one night of the week, right? But in that big group, they would then have groups of three to five that everybody would be in a band, is what he called them, a group of three to five people. And in that group of three to five people, they had four questions that they answered every week. Every week, the same four questions. Every week, here they are. Imagine getting together with someone on a regular basis and having someone ask you and then wait for the answers to these questions. What known sins have you committed since we last met? What temptations have you met with? How are you delivered from them? And fourth, what have you thought, said, or done of which you doubt whether it be a sin or not? <laughs> what have you done that you're not even sure? See, having people structured to, to, in these groups to, to hold each other accountable, to living the life that Jesus prepared for them was the key, was the very key to the church exploding in growth around the world. The Methodist church, when it came to America, it brought this pattern of small groups and it became, the, it became what AA is today. I mean, that was, that was where it came from. Having an accountable group of people who are going to ask you the hard questions and wait for you to answer. That was it. And just the accountability, the support of a loving group of people, the church, is what transformed people's lives. It brought them out of the pit of sin into Freedom. Just an accountable, a loving relationship with other believers. Transformed lives. This was the secret to the church growing. It wasn't rocket science. I still don't think it's rocket science, but I do believe that it's the key to the church for the future. It's the key to the, our, our community's health, spiritual health. But it's going to take real honesty from real Christians to make it happen. That's why the Global Methodist Church is pretty adamant about its members being a part of one of these. Every member to be a part of one of these. And I think it's fantastic. Because the promise is that Christ will set you free. But the reality is, how do we get there? It's through the church. It's through the church. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, No temptation has overtaken you except which is common to us all. And God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide you a way out so you can endure it. The church is your way out. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are the way out. If you're struggling with sin, get in touch with somebody. Confess it to God. Confess it. Tell somebody. You don't have to tell everybody, but tell somebody for goodness sake. Call me. My phone number's in the program. Let's get, send me an email. Let's get together and talk. Get a friend that you can trust. Tell them the story. Get it out of yourself. It's going to feel so good to let it go. I promise you. Because God promises that there is always a way out. And He's given it to us. The power of Christ. That's the way out. And it is in the church. So you can stop drinking. You can stop all the lustful thoughts. You can stop living a life of lies. You can. Pray for forgiveness and confess to a friend. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness, your love and your mercy. We thank you for not just calling us into a new life, but actually giving us the way to live that new life. I ask you, God, to to hold up those who are in this room today who are struggling with unknown sins that maybe their spouse doesn't even know. Lord, we're just going to stop here in prayer just right now and we're going to take a moment to confess our sins before you. And just in silent meditation, I invite you to, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're carrying, that's tormenting, that's torturing your soul, whatever sin it is that, that you're holding back, I want to give you the chance to confess that to the Lord now. Maybe something you did years ago. But you want to be free of it today. Give it to the Lord. Now we pray, Lord, I ask that you would show us a name or a face of someone that we can can tell. Someone who we can share our story with. Someone who can hold us accountable. That he can encourage us, can equip us, God. Show us the face or a name of a a Christian brother or sister that we can talk to. Now, Lord, I ask that you give us boldness. to take a step in faith to actually do what your word calls us to do. To handle our sin in the way your word tells us to handle our sin. Trust him. God, thank you for a way out. Thank you for showing us no way. Jesus, we love you. Amen. I thought I had it on the screen, but I don't. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. There's always a way out, and Jesus is the way. Amen? I want to invite you, um, as always, I try to give you a, a next step in your faith, but starting July the 10th. Everybody say July 10th. July the 10th. July the 10th we're starting a new uh, series of uh, Bible study during the daytime. Some of you like having things to do during the daytime, especially during the summer. So during the daytime, at lunch on Mondays, because July 10th is a Monday, we're going to have a, a study that's based a, around the uh, the chosen video TV series, right? So we're going to do season one in July and August. Uh, so Monday mornings at 11:30, we're going to get together, have lunch, uh, and then we're going to have watch a video, and then we're going to have a <coughs> conversation for it. it should be 11:30 till around one, 1:30 maybe. I don't know. Don't know how long it takes us. Uh, hopefully by one will be the goal. Uh, if you can join us, uh, that'll be. Eight weeks, right? Amen. Please take a step. Invite somebody. Bring somebody. It should be a good conversation, if nothing else. All right, amen. We're going to stand and sing right now, right, Miss Anna Mae.